Good morning. <laughs> I was early. I said, I said good morning before I was supposed to. How are you doing this morning? Good. I'm Pastor Turner. I'm so glad you're here at Destiny this morning. We're going to continue our Advent series that we started last week. But before we do that, I just wanted to highlight one thing that Greg was mentioning there as a gratitude. Uh, I think it's so amazing to be a part of a church where the leadership, in particular our board, would allow and agree for us to be able to give away such a substantial amount of an offering that's given by us and through you, and, uh, and just to know that they are kingdom-minded, that we know we can't outgive God, and so as we give and we give out, uh, that the Lord will always give back, pressed down, shaken over, and overflowing more than we could ever think of or imagine, and in various ways. And so to have a leadership team like that and to sit with them is just such a blessing. Just for me personally, as part of this leadership team, I'm not on the board. I don't help make those decisions. Um, but at the same time, knowing that we are in such great hands in this church for that, that we could stand joyfully with the Lord and say, we're trying to do exactly what you want us to do, Jesus, in this church. And so you should pray for them and give thanks to them in, uh, in our board. And I just wanted to publicly do that before I started. So if you are uh, with us and this is your first week or you weren't with us last week, we started our series called The Advent, A Thrill of Hope, and it's a series that's going to go over four weeks um, over the Advent. And one of the things that Pastor Brody came up with, with, which I think is awesome, is we're going to go a little bit old school. We're going to be publicly reading some scripture out loud in the church together. And so we're going to have them on the screens here. We're going to start with Isaiah chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And if you would read these out loud, speak loud. We're confessing God's word. We'll start in verse, two of, or verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 2. Read along with me. It says there, people from many nations will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, his word will go out from Jerusalem, the Lord will meditate between nations and settle international disputes, when with the hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. And then also Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. In chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And the same region, you can read aloud, and the same region there were shepherds staying out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Or I could read it. <laughs> Different translation. Why don't you read it? And I'll listen. <laughs> One, two, three.
Amen. Good job, guys. Give yourself a hand. <laughs> All right. I don't know how that happened. It's my fault. I apologize. So we are in the Advent season. And uh, an Advent, as Bertie talked about last week, is really it's defined as an, an expected arrival of a notable person, a thing, or an event. And it typically falls on this time of the church calendar when, uh, if you're especially from a denomination or a liturgical church, uh, they will experience these type of Advent series that they go through. And each week they will focus on one particular aspect of the Advent. Last week was hope. Uh, Next week will be joy and love will be the following week. And this week it will be peace. What's interesting, though, is that the Advent came around not to look at Jesus' birth or his first arrival, which can be confusing because we celebrated around Christmas, which is the time when we celebrate his birth, his first arrival. It actually was instituted by the church in the Middle Ages to look forward to his second coming. And so much of what they were doing was trying to refocus the people of God to looking and remembering what he's done, but to what he will do in the future. And so just as the first church was living in a, 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 the early church was living in a phase of an already, but a not yet, we also are still living in this already, but not yet. In other words, the Messiah has already come the first time. God has opened up a door for man to be at peace with God and God to be at peace with us. But the arrival of the second coming, the establishment of his fullness of his kingdom, which is what we all long for, those that know and trust Jesus, and especially those who don't know and trust Jesus, they just don't realize it, and that is the establishment of his kingdom on earth, where he will truly take the throne and rule and reign, and it will be indisputable, and there will be nothing to come against that, and it will rule forever and ever. That's what we're looking for. That is what we're hoping in. That's what we're looking at, and that's what I hope I will inspire you to continue to look towards after our message this morning. We're living in an already and a not yet. And sometimes people, even in, for 2,000 years as we've been waiting, they begin to question God. Well, you did say you would come. You did say you'd establish your kingdom, but where are you? It hasn't come yet. Are you going to keep your promise? Are you reliable? Can we trust you? The apostle Peter addressed this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He said clearly, he said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come into repentance. And so what it is, is that God is working out a time frame. He's working on his own calendar, his own chronology that he's unfolding through time and in history for us. And we are standing at some point in that. I don't know, it could be tomorrow, it could be a thousand years from now before he returns and establishes his kingdom. I'm not sure when that is, and it's probably better that I don't know. But the reality is, is we are in a time of waiting And so much happens in the time of waiting. So much can happen good and so much can happen bad that can bless the Lord and yourself or can pull away from that tremendously. In fact, it's been said it's not how you wait or it's not that you wait, it's what you do while you wait. It reminds me of an interesting story that I heard about an airport in Houston. So this airport was receiving a tremendous amount of complaints about the amount of time that it was taking from a passenger who would get off of the airplane and they would work their way to the terminal where they would pick up, or the carousel where they would pick up their baggage and they were waiting too long and so the airport went to work to try and study and figure out what they can do to 
to shorten that time. And the average time that it was taking was somewhere around 20 minutes from the time that they got off of the plane to the time that they actually had their bags in their hand and they were heading to, their, to the rest of their destination. And so they were able to, through computer programs and studies and all this, they were able to get that time from 20 minutes all the way down to an eight-minute wait, which is pretty significant if you think about it. What was happening, though, is as they got that time down and they rolled out that new process and put it in place, they were still receiving all of these complaints from, from the customers that they were waiting too long. And so then they went back to work and they said, well, this, obviously, we can't cut any more time. We can't make our workers go faster than what they're doing. So they decided what they would do is they would move the terminal as far away from the carousel as they could. And so what they would do is they would give them a four or five or even six-minute walk from the time they got off the plane to get to their carousel. And then once they got to the carousel, it would, their bags oftentimes would already be there waiting for them to be taken off. And they started to get compliments and reviews and letters being emails being written about how good the service was they hadn't done a single thing to shorten the time but what they did is they gave those passengers something to do with the time that they were waiting they had something to do during the waiting don't lose sight of that as we wait for God to fulfill his promises that he's given to us in his word He's given us a walk, a journey, something to do with our time as we wait for him. It's not something where we just stand and wait and don't get our, our hands busy. We just, we don't do that. That's not what he's asked the church to do. What he said is you have something to do in the waiting. And I fear that a great part of the church today has lost sight of that. That they've confused what we're doing as we wait for the Lord's promises to be fulfilled with what they should be doing. And there's some confusion in that. So what we do while we're waiting makes all the difference. Now, the word of peace that we're talking about today in the Hebrew, it actually is translated from the Hebrew of the word shalom. Some of you guys know that word, shalom. And if you've ever been in the Middle East or if you know a Jewish person, uh, some, we say shalom, shalom. They say shalom. I'm not Jewish. I don't say shalom that often. I will today a lot, probably more than any time ever. But the, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6, you guys will know this when I read it. He says, for unto us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The title of the Messiah that Israel was looking to would be the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Shalom. And that word shalom, when they would use this as a greeting, as a hello, as a goodbye, it was an, a massive word in the, to the Jewish people. When you say shalom, you would be saying that you were blessing them with God's presence in every area, every aspect of their life. In fact, that word, in the, when you translate it from the Hebrew, it means whole or completed. That's what it means, to be whole or completed, as if you think of a complex puzzle that has all of these pieces to it, but every piece is where it needs to be and the picture is complete. That would be shalom. That would be peace. In fact, when they would speak of peace or shalom, 
They would speak of how it, it would be um, a blessing into their physical realm. So when you would greet someone, and the, the ancient Jews would greet someone, even to this day, they would say, shalom to you. In other words, to your physical body. Have peace in your body. Like if you would be thinking of how your health would be, um, how, how the, the aspects of all of your life, the, the, the livestock that you would have had, that they are, they are healthy and that things are, are the way that they should be. They're put in place that God's blessing is resting upon them. When you entered their home, you would greet them with shalom on their, on their physical house, that their house would be strong and the way it needs to be, that I guess you could say modern day that the windows don't leak and the roof doesn't leak and that the air conditioning works, all that stuff. Peace would be on your physical home. They also would use the greeting or that phrase to uh, reference a paying back of a debt. Um, Maybe maybe one of your cattle would get out or your sheep and it would damage the field of your neighbor. And so you would make restitution for that damage. And so in a physical way, you would make shalom. You would give them back. So shalom was starting off with just the physical presence, the world we live in, the things that we deal with. But it wasn't just that, it was also in the areas of what we would call emotional blessing, the emotional shalom in our lives. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, listen to what Isaiah says. He says, you will keep in perfect shalom, or perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And so it talks about the mind, and it talks about how when our mind is fixed and focused on the right person, the right thing, that God will keep that individual in perfect shalom. In other words, your mind, your heart are connected. What you think on, how you approach all of these things when it comes to relationship with God, you have access to peace or not. And Isaiah promised that he will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. How much of our emotions are connected to the way we think? We think a certain way, we feel a certain way. They're all in that kind of big bucket, and it's hard to separate sometimes, but he says, I am the shalom over even that part of your life. In other words, being kept in shalom, it's a tangible, recognizable presence of tranquility when you, have, when you are experiencing emotional peace, emotional shalom. Tranquility. Think of like a nice meadow, a little bird chirping, Sun on your shoulder. It's a good place, isn't it? You just went there. Some of you went there, right? Right, yeah. You can, you know, throw a little, cast a little rod, catch a little fish, something like that. But it's a, it's a tangible tranquility that comes straight from God. It also meant that we could experience shalom with our neighbors. In other words, peace with our neighbors. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, just like our cow or our goat would get out and trample somebody's field and we'd have to make restitution, the result of that restitution would be peace amongst you. But also, before that ever happens, you're thinking of your neighbor, you're thinking how you can bless them, how you can love on them, how you can serve them. And so this was the whole idea. The Jewish community, by the way, as a people, they were so opposed so often historically. We know this, right? If you just read the Bible, they're constantly being uh, fought against and they have to defend themselves in all these ways. They turned to one another because oftentimes the world was against them. And so they understood that I need to have peace with my neighbor. This may be the only person that actually becomes my friend at some point uh, if, if the world has its way. And so there was this tangible emotional tranquility, the shalom of God over that part of your life, and then also with your neighbors. And so it's this all-encompassing shalom. 
But lastly, it was a spiritual shalom. And this is the most important one. To the Jew, shalom meant the ultimate peace with God. Peace with God that would result in peace with others. The root of the word shalom is, is, uh, is shalom. It sounds very, it's shalom. It actually sounds very similar to shalom. And it means to restore. It means to restore. So at the root of the whole word of peace of God is restoration. And as I said before, it eventually comes out to mean complete or whole. And it's a true reality that you cannot be restored, or you cannot be complete, I mean, until you are restored. You can't get those reversed. Sometimes in our own effort to be right with God, we turn to things like religion or if I'm just good enough. The problem is, is that you're good enough and your religion is getting it backwards. It's that you need to be restored first before you experience the completeness. And you can't try and strive to completeness and achieve the restoration. It just won't work. It's not in the capacity of who we are in the creation. The creation is actually completely broken. It's actually, as I mentioned earlier, a puzzle that should be in order and, in, and together where it makes a complete picture, but it's completely broken apart. In fact, when you come to God, you come as a disjointed puzzle. So many times in our lives when we come to Him, our lives are broken in, in pieces and there's things that have to be put in the right place where the maker has to get his hands on the pieces of our lives and he has to set them into the place where they belong and we have to allow him to enter into our lives in such a way. I know that's sort of philosophical, but I'm trying to paint a picture for your mind that the word shalom to the Jew was all-encompassing physically, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually. They were, after all, the people of God the ones who God had established to be a witness to the rest of the world, that they were serving the one true God. All the other nations were seeking after false gods, gods made by men and and deities that were strange and bizarre. But Israel had the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the beginning and the end. They had access to him. God had set them apart to be a witness to the world. And today the church stands in that position. We know God. We have access to God because of what he's done. And so the people of God, the word shalom, the promise that Isaiah said, all are wrapped around this word shalom and peace. The word peace is evidence of God's kingdom. In fact, when we think about heaven... We think about what it'll be like when we are finally with him for eternity. It's just going to be a place of peace. No more tears. No more war. No more suffering. No more sickness. No more death. All of the things that are evidence of a broken, disjointed world will be completely removed and restored and put back into complete order the way that God intended it. When we think of God's kingdom, we think of God's presence, when we think of God, we should think of peace. In 1 Kings, there's an amazing display of this with the prophet Elijah when he goes into a cave and he asks to see God. And so God agrees. 
And so he hides his face in the cave, in the back of this cave, and all of a sudden, the earth begins to shake. It says in 1 Kings chapter 19 that the rocks split, and then a fire came, and great wind came. And it says that in all of these things, the Lord was not in those things. But then finally, when Elijah was the closest to God that he could be humanly possibly, it was complete silence. And Elijah went to the front of the cave and he covered his face with his cloak in that complete silence. And God wasn't in the wind that broke the rocks, the fire that came down and consumed, or the earthquake. He was in the silence. He was in the perfect shalom of God. Elijah was experiencing the shalom of God, what the kingdom of God will be, and the presence of God is like. We all need this. We all need this. In fact, when you look at our world today, it seems as though the entire world is just agitated. You go online, there's controversy and all these things. You turn on the news and there's just another conflict and something else and it seems that everything in the world is just, just not right. It's agitated. And we think about the promise that Isaiah gave when he said that he's going to be the prince of peace. And here we are, his children, and our own worlds are somewhat agitated. Even the shepherds that came out in the fields, as we read on the verse that I didn't get right, that the shepherds, the shepherds heard from the angels, peace on earth. It's amazing to me to think about that. And when you look at our world today, how much peace is lacking, especially in the Middle East. Um, I just recently heard um, this woman was uh, over in Israel visiting, and she was a tourist, so she had all of her, on her backpack, she had all these maps and things like that. And so she's walking along the Mediterranean Sea there, and she stumbles upon some artifacts. Just, I don't know if the, they were just, they were, she was looking around, she found, and she pulled up what looked like a lamp, an old oil lamp, and so she's dusting it off, and all of a sudden a genie pops out. They speak of this in the book of Numbers, you should check it out. But um, the genie says, hey, thanks for setting me free. As a blessing, I want to just answer one wish for you. And so her being, you know, visiting the Middle East and all of that, she's like, oh, can you bring peace to the Middle East? And she pulls out the map, and she circles Israel and all of that, and, and he says, let me see you. He goes, you know, <laughs> there are some things too great even for a genie. I don't know if I can do that. Do you have another wish? So she says to him, well, I'm in my 30s. I'd really love to be married. I'd love to have a man that is just, you know, he loves me and he's patient and he's wealthy and he loves, you know, my children. He wants to have lots of kids and I want him to have a, a farm. And, and, and the genie goes, let me see that map again. So... <laughs> The whole world is agitated. It's lacking peace. It desires peace. Even our med medical community is feeling the brunt of this. The CDC gives us statistics that are just staggering when it comes to issues like alcohol consumption. Conservatively, 25% of our population that is 18 and older are drinking so much that they need help. That's 75 million people 
In other words, it has negatively affected their life. And only a fraction of them are willing to get help. The CDC also talks about the statistics of depression in America, that over 80 million people between the ages of 12 and 50 are suffering from a clinical diagnosis of anxiety or depression requiring some sort of medical treatment. I think all of these things are pointing to the fact that there's this lack of peace and the attempt of man to achieve it. So what's the reality here? What's the answer? Where's the physical, emotional, and spiritual shalom that God promised? Is God a liar? Didn't he promise us peace on earth? Didn't he say that we would have peace? I want to tell you that I have good news for you this morning because there's an answer to that question. God, in his divine love and his wisdom, has provided for us the peace that we long for that comes from him. And it is found not in some action, not in something else, but it is found solely in an individual. And that individual is the person of Jesus Christ. He's providing us peace through Jesus himself. It's amazing to me to think about. A lot of times we define peace in our lives as the absence of some kind of conflict. If my marriage would just get right, if, if he'll just leave, <laughs> or if there's some other thing, if, if there's no conflict, if that's gone, then I'll have peace. It's actually the other way around. It's not that that would leave and you would have peace, it's that you attain something else that overrules that thing. In the Jewish religious system, they had offerings that were given as, as a part of the law. And some of them were mandatory and some of them were optional. And, uh, you know, the, the culmination of all of this sacrificial, sacrificial system was the idea that, that it was pointing to Jesus. They were all pointing to Jesus. The culmination of that is obviously the Passover offering, where Jesus becomes our Passover lamb, the lamb of God that was given for the sins of the world. And Jesus becomes our Passover. But there were other sacrifices offered as well that pointed to Jesus just as much. And one of those in particular was called the peace offering. And what's unique about the peace offering is that there's three things that set it apart from the other offerings that the Jewish people were, were required to do. The first is that the, the sacrificial offering of peace was a free will offering. In other words, it wasn't required. It wasn't part of something that they had to do to be considered a good Jew. It was actually something that they did on their own volition, that they would bring an offering to God, and it was something that they chose to do under no compulsion, no other reason than to recognize God. The second point of it is that it was used to signify the fulfillment of a vow or that something had been kept that had been promised. So you give your word, you keep your word, and then you would go up to the temple and you would make a peace offering as a symbol or as a sign that God was with you to help you fulfill that vow. That's the vow that Hannah used when she gave up Samuel. If you remember the story in the Old Testament, Samuel was, was born unto a, a barren woman. And she pleaded with God and asked God to give her a child. And she promised God that she made a vow to God that if he gave her a child, she would 
leave him at the temple to be raised. And that child was given to her, and that child became Samuel, the prophet of God who instituted the king system into Israel, one of the most amazing prophets to Israel in all of their history. And when she came to bring the baby Samuel up to the temple to give him to the priest so they could raise him in the service of the temple, she also brought with the baby a peace offering. So it's used as a free will. It was used as a sign of a fulfillment of a vow. And then lastly, it was used to signify God's deliverance. Where someone had experienced a great time of need, a desperate situation, and they pleaded with God, and God helped them in their time of need, set them free, delivered them on something beyond their own ability to achieve. And so they would offer a peace offering to God as a result. What's amazing to me is that the peace offering that God gave to the Jewish people points to Jesus. When you think about the life of Jesus, the fact that he voluntarily gave his life up. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 18, he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. In the same way that a peace offering was voluntary, Jesus voluntarily gave his life up. He actually prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, by the way, if there's another way, God, let's do it. But nonetheless, your will be done. He chose to walk that path. He also fulfilled all of the requirements of the law that none of us could do on our own. That requirement that was set before mankind of perfection and holiness that we'd never be able to achieve, Jesus fulfilled it for us. He became that peace offering. And lastly, the great deliverance that we needed from all of our sins was found in Jesus. God helps us in our time of need. Uh, Isaiah promised us that we would have peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, for to us a son is given. Jesus is the child that was born on Christmas Day, and he was the son that was given as a sacrifice on Good Friday. Jesus is our peace. If you are longing for peace in your life, I want to encourage you this morning to turn your eyes to Jesus, the person, the God, the King, the one who's holding his hands out to you right now. He's extending an invitation to you, all of us, even us that have known him for all of our lives. We need to turn back to him with all of our hearts. Maybe your life this morning is just a mess. Your puzzle is broken to pieces and you need to turn back to Jesus and just give him your life and say, Put it in your order, in your way. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, I will end with this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And I love to pair that with Philippians 4, 7 where it says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Trust, and then peace will come. Trust in the person of Jesus and receive the shalom of God.
the beginning of God's kingdom on earth will start in your own heart. And you have an opportunity for that this morning. So I just want to take a moment at the end here and let's just pray. So let's bow our heads. Father, this morning we come to you. And there's so many of us in here, God, who desperately need your peace. We need to know the shalom of your presence, your kingdom in our lives. And so, Lord, I first want to pray for those of us in here that have experienced this shalom. We've known you. We know you. We are longing for the return and the establishment of the kingdom and the no end of peace that waits for us. May we just give thanks to you this morning. May we look to the ways that you've blessed us and just say, thank you, God. Thank you. You have put shalom on my life. You have put shalom in my heart. You have given me shalom with you in a spiritual way. And for the one that's knowing you, but they need more shalom. Lord, take the area of their life, illuminate on it, and show them that they just need to give it to you. They just need to surrender it to you. They need to trust in you and that you will take it and in exchange you will give them your peace. We just surrender that to you. We trust in you and you will give us your peace. And lastly, for the person in here who has never known this, they've never known, they've wanted peace with God, but they've never known how or where and Or maybe they've just resisted it. Today is your day. It's so simple. You just turn to him in your heart. And you confess that you trust in him. The path of peace comes through Jesus Christ. You confess him as your Lord. You confess him as your Savior. And in exchange he gives you his wonderful Holy Spirit that is full of his peace. And you can do that right now. Lord, we give all of these things to you. And we thank you that though the world is in complete chaos, you rule and reign. And your peace is an everlasting kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.